Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Hello, listeners. It is the evening of July 4th, so you will hear fireworks while I'm talking right now. Welcome to the Sacred Nine podcast. A lot of exciting things are happening. We have launched the Jewel Prize for African-American Spirituals and are now accepting new spirituals arrangements from yet unpublished African-American composers. There is a $1,000 prize and a premiere in New Orleans in March 2024. For guidelines and to learn how to donate to this initiative, please visit sacrednine.com jewel. For more information on giving, visit sacrednine.com giving. Here you can see the donor tiers. Also, if you give exactly $300, not only will you be designated as a don patron, but also a singer sponsor. I'm doing a summer on stage series right now, and I am so happy to have my longtime friend and colleague, Diane Lala, on the show today. This is the first podcast interview I've done in person, so forgive the fact that my voice is louder than hers. Also, it's a really informal discussion. For this episode, I will talk about one of my favorite American genres, the traditional musical, and true to Sacred Nine form, its problematic aspects, and what that means for us here in the 21st century. Enjoy. I am here today with Diane Lala. Diane, please introduce yourself. All right. Um, I am a professor of musical theater at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Um, I teach dance and I direct and choreograph. And I have been lucky enough to work at Summer Lyric Theater at Tulane for many years, directing and choreographing. Um, So, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Sure. Actually, um, for our audience, my very first time to music direct anything was because of Diane. She invited me at the True Brew Theater to music direct Songs for a New World But when I first moved to New Orleans, and that's my very first time to ever musical direct. So Wow, yes. I didn't know that. Yes, it was, and we've worked together many times since. Um, so... My, as you know, Diane, my thing is the traditional musical. That's mm-hmm. where I really want to thrive. Oh, and by the way, audience, if you hear a soda can opening or anything, we're just being a casual conversation <laughs> here, so... Here, I should open it now because it's... <laughs> Wait. Oh, yes, that okay. sounded great. <laughs> so I'm, you know, as every year at Summer Lyric, we do at least one traditional musical, if not more. And, you know, increasingly, we're met with problems and how to how to keep these musicals relevant in some cases we have to make the decision well is this even doable anymore so let's just start in real extreme um i would say that a show like mikado is just over would you agree yeah i you would have to have all japanese people and then i don't know I don't remember all the ins and outs of the Mikado, but I I don't remember it being too... Um, yeah, I think it would be a problem. Yeah, because even if you did have all Japanese people, you would basically be you know, acting out a farce from the mind of a white person about what a Japanese person is like or right. the stereotypes thereof and so on. Right, and I mean, even you know, more contemporary shows like um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and the character, I don't remember her name, but the owner of the, the house, um, you know, that's written from a, a white person's perspective and shows like Anything Goes, 
um, with yeah. the two yes. Asian characters um, because they were written by a white person as stereotypes, and it it was supposed to be funny, you know. And back when it first came out, I'm sure what it was funny. And we look at that today and go, ooh. Yes. Now is it is it Modern Millie the one with where they sing Mammy the where the the Asian characters sing Mammy. What's the one where, where, um, you know, Liz played the uh, the the bra the the hotel. Right. What, what show is that? It's thoroughly modern. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. So that, I was making sure we were referencing that one because it, it um, brought that to mind. Of course, that sh that movie was originally in the '60s, I guess, or something. Yeah. But the show is not that old, right? No, no. It's like the early 2000s, I think. So it's so funny how things have changed so far since 2000 because you could never do that today, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it needs it needs some reworking. Yes. <laughs> Are there any other traditional musical? I, I guess we should define what that even means. I would say a musical from 1965 or, or earlier. What would you say, Diane? Yeah, I mean, sometimes we use 1975 as a cutoff. Okay. Um, but, you know, that's also, you've got hair and all those shows in that little, you know, between 65 and 75. So, yeah, probably just the earlier uh, musicals. Can you... I have tried to turn that tone off on my computer and I can't find where it is. So anyway, sorry, um, everyone. Um, can you think of any traditional musicals besides Mikado that uh, it, it's, it's nice, the music is great, but I just can't see it having a life anymore? Well, I would like to think that there are musicals that, you know, might... Uh, raise an eyebrow, but that we could sort of adjust and, and get around. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, there are, there are musicals that I wouldn't want to have to deal with, you yes. know? Yes. There's also musicals that I love and adore, like West Side Story, that I will probably, well, I will most certainly not be asked to direct or choreograph anymore uh, because... Yes. Um, I, I'm not Puerto Rican and I don't have Hispanic background. I understand. I understand. Of course, I have choreographed it like two or three times. So you, <laughs> you can mark that off the bucket list. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so let's talk about, I had asked you, what do we do? I mean, my, my objective here in this particular question is really selfish because uh, in my Sacred Nine work, in 2006, Stephen Foster turns 200. And I want to do something that, I mean, celebrates his music. I mean, by any objective standard, he was a master of songwriting. Um, Beautiful Dreamer is one example among many. But then, you know, his music is so fraught. Even his, like, Beautiful Dreamer doesn't make any references to racism or blackface minstrelsy or anything stereotypical. It's just a beautiful song. But to what degree is his whole catalog stained by the fact that some of his uh, blackface minstrel lyrics are just beyond egregious? Just not, not just like silly, but cruel. Do you have, a, and, and just one example, I know this is not a song by uh, Stephen Foster, April, April Showers, but um, in a recent concert, I was going to arrange this for choir. And then I remembered in the back of my head, wait, now where does this come from? And yes, it comes from a 
I think 1921 uh, musical with Al Jolson, and it's it was sung in blackface. And so even though April showers may come your way, da 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 da, it's just a song about hope. Does it have, does it have a life now? What do you think? I don't know because that song is so. Uh... You know, relate. You know, relates so much to him, and and that he performed it. If you Google it, that's what you see. You don't see like who wrote it or anything like that. That I think sometimes you know a personality is is bigger than than the the piece itself, and so I think that's a really fine line, and I don't know. I don't have an answer right now as to how to make it okay. Yeah, me me either. And I thought about, you know, well, I, I could do a Stephen Foster. Again, let me just be clear. I understand that Stephen Foster did not write April Showers, but it's kind of like an exemplar for what we're talking about. I, I, um, I could see myself doing a whole concert that's a conceptual thing where I contextualize everything. And, um, and I might do that, but still it feels self-serving. Like this is my, this is the way that I'm allowed to do Stephen Foster's music. And so I have to be really careful that I'm doing things for the right reason and, you know, right. and not just, and you know, and maybe, I've talked to a couple of Stephen Foster scholars that like, I wouldn't do his music right now for sure. Mm -hmm. And there are people who would of course champion him and his talent and stuff so forth, but they also recognize, you know, the problematic, his problematic stuff that he did. So yeah, that's just an ongoing question for me. Um, so, Music Man was over, and I realized I did not say a word to the cast about Barbershop. I think that the latest uh, research would show that Barbershop originated with black singers. And I never said a word about it. So where do, you, where do we stand with, you know, if you're uh, choreographing Wonderful Town and swing, the swing dancing, what do we do in these, in these cases where it's... it's genres that originated with African-Americans. Yeah, I've started like really putting some thought into that. Um, and so, for example, you know, like the truckin' step, that actually comes from Harlem and was called Harlem truckin'. So that happened in the 20s in Harlem before it happened in the 40s in all the swing clubs. So I usually tell my students and then any cast members who I'm doing a show with, especially if I'm using a step, I do tell them where it came from. Um, I think choreography is difficult because it's based on traditions and people learning things from, from other people. And there are some things that people do well. I mean, when I was in high school, um, I was the only white girl in the African dance piece, but I could do it well. But I don't know that that would happen. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that would happen now. Um, in um, in Music Man in Shapoopy, we, we use the cakewalk, which is also comes from um, you know uh, African American descent, and and you also have to be careful if you're doing a different kind of like you know like a calypso and some of those kinds of things. They come from different, not just African American. It's like Caribbean or you know, and yeah. so you have to be careful of of that, but I do try to educate myself if I'm teaching something and I go, oh, this, this step is like an old, you know, traditional step. And really 
nine out of 10 times, if you look for the origin of it, it came from um, black history, mm, you know? Yes. So it's, it's really interesting. But I find that my students appreciate it if I say, we're going to do this. Now, you know, this comes from this part of history. And um, they seem to be uh, happy that I have acknowledged it. And so, so in that way, you know, I don't, I, I, so far I haven't had any trouble teaching that as long as I, and sometimes they don't know too, you know, yeah. so it educates them to know where, um, where these steps come from. And I mean, so much, you know, the thing I think that we both love about musical theater is that it's such a collaborative effort, right? And, and it comes from all different genres. It comes from opera. It comes from ballet. You know, there's the dream ballets, there's the operettas, there's all that kind of stuff that comes and melds together into this really American art form. But America is like tons of different people and different backgrounds. So, um, you know, I think building on the history, but, but we need to also acknowledge the history so that the people know where things are instead of just blindly going for it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just, uh, I have become, even in my teaching, I've become so conscious of, well, especially in my teaching, uh, conscious of idioms because, you know, you just said a second ago, maybe they don't know. Mm -hmm. That's about a different issue. But like, um, so oftentimes when I look up an idiom, it has some <laughs> problematic origin. Like uh, I said to my students recently, or some to some group, bury the hatchet. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I caught, I, it just came out. And I just stopped myself and I said, I shouldn't have said that. And then now I've become so hypersensitive to it, I was... <laughs> in a rehearsal of Music Man. And they kept saying, tarred and feathered, tarred and feathered. And I'm like, I need to check that out. And as it turns out, there's nothing really problematic about it, but I'm just so attuned to something having some kind of a problematic origin. I know that you're attuned to that as well. Yes, yes. Um, and, and then sometimes, you know, something you don't think is, is bad rubs somebody the wrong way and and you know the i mean again you hope that you can have a discussion about it and it's not like you know cut off right there because i think it's it's important for people to understand and you know it takes it's gonna it takes a while for for change everybody wants change immediately but yes. but good change takes takes time you know absolutely um i was remembering last summer when we did Into the Woods. Um, and then, I don't know, I was Cinderella's Prince once upon a time, and um, I was rehearsing with the princes on uh, Agony. And then the thing about dwarves. Yes. And <laughs> it bothered me so bad. And then, so, but the argument of, well, in this instance, dwarves are not really, they're just mythical, they're mythological people right and so but still it just it has a whole nother meaning today and i'm like what if the, what if a, a little person came to our production and are they going to feel alienated and marginalized and all this it's just like a minefield everywhere you seem to kind of step 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we even talked about in Music Man, they they make fun of a little boy because he has a lisp. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this feels so icky, you know? Um, And Marion calls him a problem child and... Yes, yes. There, there, there were lots of those little things, you know. Yeah. Um, let's move into, if you don't mind, color-conscious casting. The first time I saw it was when I saw Titanic on Broadway, whenever that was. I guess, no, that would have been like 90s, like maybe mid-90s. And one of the wives of one of the rich people on the ship was an African-American actress. And so I didn't know what I was looking at. I, I, I was thinking, was in fact one of the wives of one of these rich people on the Titanic African-American? And then once I got kind of wise, I assume it was about color conscious casting. And so, of course, me being the interim artistic director now, I've had to get a lot more in tune with this. And I know you've been in tune with it because at Cincinnati, you're kind of more on the sort of the current pulse of what's happening. And here in New Orleans, we're kind of probably a little, you know, behind the times. So one thing I've noticed, um, well, for example, I'm writing a little show for UNC Chapel Hill about the first woman in 1793 who was raped and she sued for rape. Sorry, not the first who was raped, the first to sue for rape. And so... I, I talked to my contact in the music department to put together a quartet of students who will sing my music for that event. And she put together a quartet. I had planned to cast the rapist as the tenor. When she told me who the quartet was, the tenor is an African-American. And so I just switched gears. I'm like, no, now the rapist is going to be um, a bar- the baritone in the quartet because of that old trope of, you know, white women being abused by, you know, mm-hmm. African-Americans. So there's that. Um, the Cinderella in our show last year was African-American. Mm-hmm. And then the whole word winch, which I didn't know, takes on a whole different um, connotation in the uh, slavery era, which I didn't know that. Oh. So there's that. And then Rapunzel's Prince in that same show was also African-American. And the director who is African-American, when we were casting, he didn't want to put the African-American prince with the African-American princess because it might send the signal of, oh, we don't believe in mixed-race couples here. Mm -hmm. So then we shifted around the casting so that it wasn't like that. So in, I think color-conscious casting is great, but it's just, it it creates a whole bunch of, you know, decisions that have to be made to make it work and to make it work well. What do you have about that? Yeah, excuse me. Um, You know, at first there was colorblind casting and color conscious casting, right? Colorblind is saying you don't see anybody's color, which in reality we we do see it. And so color conscious is um, casting a, a person of color and having them bring their... Um, background, their um, ideas to the character. Um, and by color conscious casting and and casting that way, it, it goes a little better because it, you can also be 
accused of, you know, casting somebody to have, have the token person there. And um, so I, I think... I think color conscious casting is is great. I love to see all different kinds of people on stage. And I've had so many students of mine say, you know, I went when I was little, I went to see the show and there was somebody who looked like me mm. and I realized I could do that too. Yeah. You know, um, so I think I think it's interesting too bringing everybody together and and having different backgrounds because if you cast um a white person to play you know, cinderella or or the prince or you cast um you know an asian person or but it 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 will have different um you know uh, nuances to it absolutely and, and so i think that's really interesting yeah. um and i think people are still especially like down in the South, they're still trying to figure that out, you know? Yes, absolutely. I also noticed um, about how you say nuance. I remember um, our, I don't know if I said Cinderella's Prince before, the African-American actor was Rapunzel's Prince in our production. And some of his lines, he would put this inflection on it that I would characterize as an African-American inflection, which would have never been heard before in in these you know these fairy tales or in any other production of Into the Woods, but it, it does add something yeah. that that quote wasn't supposed to be there, but it is now there and it belongs there. So yeah, and it's that it's that person saying it, and so it it makes sense, you know. Then you also have to look at like still staying in the world of of the show, you know, like how. How does your take on on your character actually inform the show? Because we're all trying that that's the point is we're gonna tell this story. Yeah. But within the big story, everybody else has their own stories, but you just have to make sure they're going to the same goal, you know. Absolutely. Um along the lines of the the, the rapist thing, uh our next production, Oliver, Bill Sykes is going to be an African-American and uh, actor. And, you know, when we thought about him for this role, you know, we had a, a really serious talk with him about this and, and what he thought about it. Because, you know, we, we don't want the optics, again, to be perpetuating this thing of this abusive um, African-American towards, you know, the poor, helpless mm -hmm. uh, white lady. As it turns out, he wants to play the role. And so, but we've had that um, discussion. Anything else you want to say about color conscious casting or? Um, no, I think, um, I, and I also think, you know, the, the best talent for the, the part should get it. But, but now at least that we're seeing different people from, you know, all kinds of diverse cultures coming out to audition, which is, it's so, it's so great, you know? Yes. It's funny you talk about Bill Sykes, you know, the last um, revival of Carousel had um, a, a very tall um, black actor playing Billy Bigelow to a very small white actress, which mm. um, it, it was a little, a little strange to see. And I thought it was strange, especially at 
that particular time because people were starting to go, hey, yeah, thing, things, you know, things are changing, and and especially an old piece like that where he, you know, hits her. Yeah, it, it's that again. That's one of the I love that show because of the music and the dancing and. But I'd have to like really think about how to do that now, you know? Absolutely. So if you don't mind, let's take a quick little tour through transgender issues regarding musical theater. So, I mean, you have to know more about this. Well, it started, my sort of internal um, dialogue about it started last year when we cast when we were looking at Rent. And, you know, there's this whole question online or everywhere, was Angel transgender? Um, and, you know, the, quest the answer I came up with was that not in the way... they. I think they didn't really quite have the, the word for it then, or the... Uh, then. I agree. Yeah, because when I read... When you read the whole script... Um, Collins refer after she dies. Collins refers to her as a he, so at the very least, it wasn't what it w has developed into today. As it turns out, we did, we did cast a transgender um, character for the role, but that just sort of got my whole uh, my questioning about about the issue. So, as I'm understanding transgender issues, one is not obliged to present as the gender that one feels internally, right? right. So, I mean, you've seen um, transgender people online say, you know, some people choose to get facial feminization surgery, some people don't, and that's okay. Some people have facial hair, that's okay if they're um, transgender female, and so on. So, I wonder what, what impact that's going to have on casting eventually in, in shows. I mean, is it going to be similar, do you think, to color conscious color conscious casting um, in that you know if if it's Guinevere and, and Camelot does it have to be a female presenting character I mean I, I know that's a, and maybe you, it's already happening where you are I don't know um I think well I think yeah you know <laughs> It, de it depends on the show. Uh, here's an example. Um, I'm going to be doing Sweet Charity. Mm. And um, it's the, you know, in the Fandango ballroom, um, is traditionally um, women who sing Hey Big Spender. And I looked at that and I thought, well, it doesn't really have to be, you know, it can be whoever wants to dance in heels and... Um, so I, I'm open, I haven't put a gender for that, you know, yeah. character. Actually, I don't have genders for any of the characters listed. Um, I'm open to seeing anybody audition for any part. And then I really have to think about how that impacts the, the story um, will it confuse the audience? It just, and it also depends on what kind of, of role. Um, I 
we'll be working with um, a trans woman and um, I have, you know, non-binary uh, people. And so then you also have to look at the, you know, the vocal range and what needs to be done yeah. to the songs. Um, Guinevere was a bad example in that sense because well, that's a legit, like, high soprano. Right. You know? Well, actually, la uh, this was a number of years ago. This is before COVID. I directed and choreographed a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Coming from where I am in a program, you want to be able to give people roles. And clearly that is a male dominant show. And I was thinking, how, how can I do this? So I was open to having Judas be a woman. Um, I, what ended up happening was I had, um, a woman as a high priest, and I had half of the apostles as women, but I didn't have them play women. They mm. were playing John or whoever they were playing because I, I my idea was that if, if Jesus came now, if this was happening now, there, he wouldn't just have male disciples. He'll, oh, you know? yeah. But I did have to um, get permission from the licensing company, um, I had to say why I was doing it. You know, one was to give people um, roles and experience. The other was I don't think that the four high priests would all be male right now, you know, and that kind of thing. And the only thing they said was um, you can do all those things, but you can't change any keys. Hmm. So Judas... I mean, there are people who can sing it, but um, we opted to, to leave Judas as a as a, a man. But I did have, you know, I changed the I I changed the gender, I guess, of, of the apostles. But you know, to me, it just seemed normal. Yes. Um, so I think you know there are a lot of of things, even in charity. I mean, one of her, you know, she's always with these two friends of hers. I'm not convinced that it has to actually be someone who was born female, you know? Yeah. That's, I, I love that because, I mean, that's a really great um, justification because, you know, if, if Christ were here today, he wouldn't just have all males. That's great. And that, go ahead. Oh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. It'll come to you, probably. <laughs> um but what you said reminded me, though, of the, the licensing companies, because yeah. I know we were, you and I were talking about uh, the lyrics to Shapoopy and how, how cringy that, that song is. And, you know, on Broadway, they update the lyrics all the time, right? Right. But then they don't let us do it. And, right. and so, like, would, would they have us, you know, trot out on stage the same kinds of injustices that they're trying to get right. out of their shows? I don't quite understand what's behind... Like, how does that benefit them? I, I have I have no idea. We talked about um, Shapoopy, and we talked about it with the uh, the actor who sang the song, and we came up with the idea of let's keep the lyrics because, frankly, the new lyrics are terrible. I mean, I see what they're doing, um, putting the woman more in charge, but we used the same lyrics, and I just adjusted the choreography to show that the women you know, were in charge, and this is the right way to treat a woman. And I actually had somebody in the audience 
come to me and oh. say that. Oh, I loved how you did that. I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. Isn't you know? it great when not only you have a really great idea, but somebody really gets it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's really great. That was really smart. I'm really glad that that happened. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So do you have a favorite traditional musical? Well, uh, you know, I do love the music, man. I really do love Carousel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to say that the new iteration of Camelot on Broadway with the Alan Sorkin um, dialogue changes, I I really loved that. Like I would want to do that show, not the original. You know? Now, are, are, but I'm I'm guessing they're not going to let lowly theater companies do the new dialogues. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are. There are a few shows that you can take your pick of, you know, but but not any that I've seen lately that like what you're talking about. They've like made these changes and then you're like, hey, can we do this? And it's like, this is what's licensed. I mean, I would venture to say that a lot of theater companies just do what they want and take yeah. over whatever it is yeah. they need it. But it is puzzling. Yeah. Um, you should. Get one of them on your podcast. No, <laughs> one of those licenses. Yes, people. absolutely. Do you have a least favorite traditional musical? Um, Annie, get your gun. Okay, I, I get it. I mean, there's a couple of great songs in it. I oh, love the, Irving Berlin. The songs yeah. are wonderful, but oh, it's yeah. just such a nothing story, you know. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it's got its own problems. Oh, no doubt. Yes, um, you know. I'm the whole I'm an Indian too thing that well yeah. yeah well we cut that oh of course yeah um but there are like you know roles for Native Americans yes 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 and you know it's a problem know, it's a problem <laughs> do you have um, a favorite musical of any era what's your favorite musical do you have one uh yes I adore Come From Away I hmm. think the the, the story, the way they tell it, because I, I remember hearing, you know, it had just gone to Broadway and it was it was going to be something. And I'm like, why do I want to go see a musical about 9-11? I, I, you know, in today's world, I just kind of want to be uplifted. And yeah. I went to it begrudgingly and I have never been so uplifted. Oh, wow. I have never felt because it, it, it really tells the story of people coming together in this horrible crisis yeah. and like working together yeah. and supporting each other. Yeah. You know? And so I just, I adore that show. Okay. Good to know. Do you have a favorite song from a traditional musical? I know one that you've said was your favorite song, but I don't want to prime you by saying it right now. Oh, wow. I, I love um, the music that makes me dance. Okay. Um... Wow. Do you want another one you said one yeah. time? Yeah. It only oh my God, takes yes. a moment. I love that. I love it. I love Charming. it when people come in and sing that. I'm like, ah. I know it. It never gets old. <laughs> yes, you're right. I love that. Well, Diane, that's really all I had to talk about. Do you have something else to talk about? No. I think this is really interesting, and I think it's good to talk about these things because we want musical theater to to be relevant, you know, yes. to continue to be relevant and to have 
you know, people who've been marginalized before, like get get up and, and show, show what they can do. You know, there's so many talented people and again, they have their own their own personal stories that inform whatever story they're going to tell in a show. So, I, you know, yay for this conversation and okay. have more. Okay, thank you, and um, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.